William Carey saw very few converts for the first 10 years of his ministry in the country of India. But progressively, over the next 30 years, he was a missionary for just under 40 years. And over the next 30 years, he saw more and more converts. What lesson can you learn from William Carey? Well, Carey said it himself, one of his most famous lines, I can plod. Plod means to walk slowly without turning. That's what Carey said he could do. He could keep walking forward without turning to the right or to the left. Another man, Adoniram Judson, is famous in church history for the same thing. Judson served for 18 years, and his wife and two children died in Burma. And Judson saw very few converts. But in 1831, a change took place, and more people began to be converted. But it took... 18 years. Those kinds of stories show themselves consistently in church history. I'm reading the life story right now of David Livingston. And the same thing follows true with David Livingston. That consistently, when missionaries begin their work, it takes a long period of time to dig the foundation. It takes a long period of time to get the bricks out of the ground. But once you begin to build, things move more quickly. I would like to talk this evening about the rare jewel of missionary consistency. That's a play off of the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. A famous book on being content. But I would like us to think tonight about missionary consistency. Often the history of missions reveals that missionaries needed to stay for a significant period of time before they saw significant blessing. And that practice has to stretch over decades before they see success. So I'd like to talk to us tonight about Consistency. Lord willing, next week, we'll discuss missionary attrition rates. That is, the number of missionaries who leave the mission field after beginning, quitting after you start. That's an important issue to discuss. This is the positive side, consistency. Next week will be the negative side, attrition rates. And then that week or the week after, we'll be finishing our course on missions. Well, let's look at number one, the model of missionary consistency. And that is the Apostle Paul. The work of church planting would be safeguarded if missionaries noticed and imitated the consistent pattern of Christian pastoral and evangelistic work shown to us and given to us in the Apostle Paul's life. Let's just look at a few of these. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. Does anyone know what passage this is? In Acts chapter 20, 
This is obviously the third missionary journey of Paul. And it's a famous chapter, Acts chapter 20. But what is, the, what is happening in Acts chapter 20? This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. In verse number 17, he calls the elders of Ephesus the elders of the church. Notice, more than one elder at a single church. And then in verse 18, when the elders were come to him, he said to them. Now, from verse 18 down through verse 35, we have Paul's sermon or farewell address to the elders, to the pastors and leaders at the church in Ephesus. Look at verse 18. You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all time. You know this. From the very first day and all of the time I've been doing something. So look in your notes there. From the first day, all the time, the manner of life I had. Paul had a consistent lifestyle and he expected that the Ephesians knew that lifestyle. Do you see that in verse 18? You know the way I lived. You know the way I was from the first day, even up until now. Look at verse 31. Therefore, watch and what? What's the next verb in verse 31? Watch and do what? Remember. What must you remember in verse 31? Remember this. For three years, every night, every day, with all the people, I was warning you, and I never stopped. That's consistency. In verse 18, what do we see from Paul? His pattern did not change from the first day, including all the time. In verse 31, we see, remember the pattern I had. Well, if Paul was changing all the time, how could they remember the pattern? No. For three years, I warned you all night and day. I want to draw your attention to this fact. There was a consistency in Paul. In what was his consistency? Or how was he consistent? Look back at verse number 18. Humility. You know the way that I have been with you. From the first day until now. Well, number one is consistency in verse 18. Number two is in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Number three, with many tears. That's affection, number three. Number four, suffering. Temptations which fell on me because of the Jews who lied in wait for me. Verse 20, number five. Teaching, I showed you and I taught you publicly and in every house. Number six, he's going house to house teaching. He's visiting. Look at verse 21. 
testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance to God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the five solas. Have you ever wondered why I emphasize the five solas so often? I'm trying to follow who? Paul the Apostle. Verse 28. Take heed therefore to yourselves. This is Paul speaking to the elders. And to all the flock over whom the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So that you feed the church of God. Teaching Christians. Verses 29 and 30. Guarding them from false doctrine. Why did I show you that list? To show you it was Paul's pattern. Everything I just listed. Those nine items, those were Paul's way of life. He was consistent. Now, in your notes, I've got a record that I went the whole way through the book of Acts today with Paul's life. Look in your notes there. Do you see that under letter? Um, those, those numbers there, the record of the missionary journeys shows the same pattern of consistency. 13. Let's just count the verses there. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, plus 5 is 12, 13, 14. Plus three is 17, 18, 19, 20, 11, uh, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Uh, plus five is 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. 35 different references, and there were probably more. Starting from the very beginning of Paul's missionary journeys and going through to the end of his life for nearly 20 years. What was the point of those references that I just read to you? Or count it off. Paul had a consistent pattern that he continually repeated. If you'll look at those references, you'll see the same things, themes coming up. Where does Paul start in his evangelism? The synagogue. Where does he go to next? The church. What does he do? Preaching, teaching, witnessing, disputing, debating, testifying. Some word for preaching. What else? Suffering. What else? Traveling. These are the themes that come up everywhere Paul went. What is my point? Paul was consistent. That's my point. I'm not now trying to get you to imitate all of the marks of Paul. In this lesson, I'm simply trying to say, notice that Paul picked the same thing and did the same thing all the time. Look down at the second heading. The value of missionary consistency, or notice the line right above it. The lesson we learned from Paul is this. Choose the right method, try it, and then repeat it until you die. That's Paul. In one sense... The Christian life is very similar and very repetitive. In one sense, here it is. You find the right course and keep doing it. Confession, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, encouraging one another, evangelism, and then die. You just pick those things and keep doing them over and over and over. In a sense, it is very similar. That sameness is what we mean with this word. Conservative. 
A conservative is one who conserves. A thaisa. A runga. He somehow finds something that needs to be saved, that needs to go on to the next generation, and he saves it. He conserves it. Paul the Apostle had the right method. He had the gospel given to him by God, and he conserved it for many years. And the point of tonight's lesson is to be a faithful missionary, you must follow Paul even in this. Because if you'll remember, we began our course with definition, meaning, theology, the meaning of missions. What is the meaning of missions? Planting churches. Crossing boundaries to plant churches, cross a language, cross a country, cross, cross geography, plant churches. What's the meaning? That's what we studied for the first five or six or seven lessons. Then after that, we studied the motives. Or the entire Bible viewed through the lens of missions. And if we correctly exegete the Bible, remembering the idea of the church, we're going to come with massive motivations or numerous motivations to be missionaries and massive. Okay, now here's the point. Watch. If we start with our theology, well, both of these are really theology. If we start with our definition and then we go to our motivation, our battery, our energy source, We can still fail if we quit before the harvest comes. So in this third heading that we've been discussing now for several weeks, we've been asking ourselves, how can we be missionaries? So in that heading, we discussed money and preparation. We discussed methods for planting churches. And now I'm urging us tonight to find the right theology and don't stop. That's the point of this lesson tonight. And we have biblical basis. What's the biblical basis? Find the right theology. Find a biblical method and don't stop until you die. What's the what Bible verse shows us that? Or did I just make that up because it's a good idea? Paul's example, those 32 verses that I just referenced or the, the entire chapter, the sermon that Paul gives in Acts chapter 20, which tells us this idea of consistency is not merely once or twice. It's all through the book of Acts, just like we know church planting is the definition of missions because Paul, the apostle for 10 chapters is planting churches. Well, if Paul can do that, and it's recorded by the Holy Spirit, that works as that definition for us. In the same way, if Paul is consistent, that too is a lesson in missiology. How valuable is missionary consistency? Let me give you four ways that missionary consistency is valued. Number one, outside miraculous intervention, 
evangelistic work among the heathen and pagan peoples of the world will be a work of decades. It is a work of many years. What we mean with that is what I already said with William Carey, with Adoniram Judson. And look at my own example. I've been here for 19 years. The Elam Baptist Church took 10 years. The Valdezia Baptist Church is now almost done with eight years. Pastor Schleinlein is in Bakota with now 17 years. Struggling through to make that church solid. And those are examples of consistency. Number two. The constant theme of the New Testament is continuing faithful every day. I've only included a few verses, but if you've read the Bible very much, you know this is all through. I could have included many more, like 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 4, or many, many more. 1 John, verse two, four, chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And on and on, the passages could have gone. But here are maybe six passages that show us that continuing, consistent, going on, moving forward is a vital virtue in the New Testament. Number one, Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Colossians 1, 22 and 23. Yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh, fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you do what? Continue in the faith. What happens if you don't continue? Then he will not present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Continuing is a vital part of the future, future reward. 1 Timothy 2.15 But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they do what? Continue in the faith. Why am I reading that? I'm trying to show you this is all through the Bible. Pastors, missionaries, Christians, men, The next verse is for pastors. Look at the very next one. 1 Timothy 4.16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. You've got to persevere. Chapter uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. Pastors must persevere. 1 Timothy 2.15. Women must persevere. Colossians 1 verse 22, church members must persevere. Hebrews 3, 6 and 14, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, what's the next word after our? If. If. We are not his house, if not. We are only his house, if. We hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. 
And perhaps the clearest verse in the Bible is 1 Peter 10, 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Look at that reference. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. In what way will the entrance be given to you? If you continue in these things. Continue. Consistency. There is a required consistency. Look at me next page, page 73. Consistency in a Christian is a reflection of God's unchangeable perfection. Consistency stems from the immutability of God. If God is a rock, if he is immovable and changeless in his perfections, then we ought to imitate him. Be therefore perfect as your father also in heaven. All, all, uh, father which is in heaven is perfect. We must imitate our father. How can we do that? Well, we do that by being consistent as he is consistent. When a missionary preaches changeless truths, the people will not be persuaded if his life is changeful. A life of consistency makes the message persuasive. And without a life of consistency, the message is not persuasive. Number four. There is perhaps no greater demonstration of faith than the life of consistent devotion to God. Wait a minute, what's this numbering? I've got, I'm up to number four. What am I even numbering? Are we, are we with me now? We're talking about the value of consistency. Is it valuable to do the same things over and over and over? How do we know? Well, number one, we look back at the fact that it just takes a long time to see converts in most mission fields of the world. So if you come in and quit your methods after six months or a year or two years or five years, you might not see the results because you did not continue. You weren't consistent. Number two, we see this is very important because the New Testament talks a lot about it. It tells the women, don't forget, ladies, you too have to continue. Pastor, you're not above this. You've got to continue. Church members, you too, every one of you, you're going to have to go right on to the end. That consistency is really required, as I've mentioned several times, right up until the very last day. And now we've looked at number four. There's no greater demonstration of faith than the life of consistent devotion to God. How much grace does it take to be a martyr? You must love God more than your life for a day or a week or a month or a short time. To be a martyr, you must be willing to love Christ more than your life. You must love Christ more than the pain of being burnt. You must love Christ more than the pain of having your arms cut off or being tortured. You must love Christ more than what they did to one Christian during the Reformation era. They grabbed his tongue with a tong. They pulled it as far as it could come out of his mouth. And they clamped it 
they then burnt the portion of his tongue that was sticking out so that he could not speak. They did that the day before taking him to be burnt to death. Why did they burn his tongue? Because they had reason to believe he would preach to the people if they didn't cut out his tongue or burn it. How much grace does it take to go through that? Now let me ask you, how much grace does it take to live for 53 years like John Wesley, getting up at four in the morning, preaching at seven in the morning or five in the morning as he often did, preaching two to three times a day for 50 years, usually in a field, in the snow, in the rain, when they're throwing rocks at you, when they're throwing eggs at you. Wesley wrote in his journals once, I have often been bloodied while preaching. (laughs) Which takes more faith? To serve God for that week or two weeks, that terrible two weeks of torture when they put you in prison and they torture you and then they burn you to death or 50 years, 19,500 days about of getting up and serving God when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're tempted, when you're discouraged, when all the other people quit, when you're by yourself, when you don't have money, when you feel depressed, when you're having family problems. Martyrdom sends the message one time, God is my most valued treasure. But consistency says every day, I love God and value God more than my life, more than comfort, more than rest or peace or sleep or turning, more than giving up. I love God beyond all else. And John Wesley got to say that 19,000 times. The martyrs, the very good and godly martyrs, whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, got to say that one time, or a relatively small number of times. Consistency is a great demonstration of faith. If you want to demonstrate faith, if you want God to be glorified when it is clear that he is the most valuable treasure, then maybe we need to value consistency in our lives and in our ministries. If consistency is this valuable to personal holiness, then missionaries must teach this to those whom they would have be disciples. Remember, what does the verb mean in Matthew 28? Go into all the world and make disciples. In the King James, it says, teach them. That word teach them means make disciples. And I think all the modern translations, it says make disciples. If you're going to make disciples and consistency is this valuable, why would you not want to make those people, those new Christians, consistent Christians, right? And how can you possibly make them consistent Christians 
unless you yourself are consistent. Because no virtue can be communicated to a student by a teacher who does not speak it with his life first. You can say all you want. Oh, young people, don't drink alcohol and don't do drugs. But if you are drinking alcohol and you are doing drugs, if you're telling them not to smoke, but you're smoking, if you're telling them not to race around with their car, but you're racing around with your car, if you're telling them to be respectful, but you're disrespectful to the government or to your employer or to your husband, then they will not learn the lesson. Much more is caught in the home than is taught. Next heading, definition of missionary consistency. Now, halfway through, let's ask what is missionary consistency? Short definition. It is repeating decisions made by principle. You find a godly principle of which you are not willing to move and you repeat your decisions that came from that principle over and over and over. Long definition, repeating the same Christian disciplines day by day, week by week, year by year, without fail. That's consistency. What does that mean? It means if your Christian principle says, I love the Bible, then what's the decision you might make if you were guided by that principle? I love the Bible. What, what, what decision might you take if you were guided by that principle? Reading, reading it how often? You might say, I'm going to read my Bible because it's valuable. But if you're guided by principle and you're consistent, when will you repeat the reading of the Bible? Maybe even at night. You might read it twice a day, but at least every day. And the same thing is true. What about... If you're guided by principle, here's the principle. Jesus died for the church. Is that the principle? If that's the principle, and here's another principle. I love the Lord Jesus and I love what he loves. Then what might, what decision might you make if those are your basic principles? I'm going to go to church. And then if you're going to go to church one day, And you're guided by principle. And tomorrow you're going to repeat the same decision guided by principle. What will you do tomorrow? But you can't because they don't meet. So you're going to have to go back the very next time that they are. The very next time they're meeting. Consistency is making those decisions based on principle. What if you have this principle? I am a sinner. Next principle, God forgives humble sinners. If those are guiding principles for you, what might you do? You might confess your sin. You might be humble. You might say, God, forgive me. Pastor Nico sent me a text message today. A man who's hardened by sin. Do you remember, did I ever mention him in a sermon? I don't recall. I mean, maybe. I don't recall. I mean, I don't ever remember mentioning him negatively. Well, it is easy to be hardened by sin. But if you were guided by principle and you said, I am a sinner, God forgives sinners, then each 
day you, or multiple times in a day, you might be confessing your sin rather than pointing your finger at the other people's sins. Synonyms. What is consistency? It's endurance. It's perseverance. It's patience. It's long-suffering. Now, these words are remarkable because if you search them throughout the Bible, they are used many, many times, and especially in the New Testament. Endurance, perseverance, patience, long-suffering, and there's another word that goes there too, continuing or even steadfast. If you search all of those words as I did today and I put them all into the search box and then I had to search them out by original words, Greek and Hebrew words, it is many, many, many times that those words are found and especially in the New Testament. That means that this virtue is a common virtue in the New Testament. What is consistency? One answer is this. It's a common New Testament virtue. What is consistency? It is the requirement of Christians. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that all Christians will have or else they will not be saved. But notice this, unbelievers cannot be consistent. You say, yes, they can. Unbelievers can consistently choose sin. Do you know of any unbeliever that consistently chooses sin? No, you don't. Because if you knew an unbeliever who consistently chose sin, he would choose to kill himself and kill everyone around him. He would choose never to do anything but sin. But we know that men don't do that. Do you remember in in the book of Genesis, Genesis 33, Esau comes back to Jacob and he weeps and says, oh, Jacob, it's so good to see you. But was Esau a believer or was he not a believer? He was not a believer. The book of Hebrews is clear. The book of Romans chapter nine is clear. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I? Esau is not a believer. But in Genesis 33, he's not angry with Jacob anymore. Is it a sin to be angry? Then why did Esau stop the sin? Because the doctrine of total depravity is not the doctrine of absolute depravity. Absolute depravity means as bad as you can be. Total depravity means... Sin has touched every part of you, your mind and your, your, your mind and your memory and your passions and your feelings and your will and your body. Total depravity says every part of you is touched with sin. Absolute depravity says everything about you is sin. The Bible teaches total depravity. The Bible does not teach absolute depravity. Unbelievers are made in the image of God and unbelievers have The influence of God's common grace. What is common grace? It's the kindness that God gives to men that does not save them. Like tar roads and plastic and KFC. 
like chickens and salt and sugar. That's all common grace. Will anyone be saved because they have sugar? But are our lives sweeter because of sugar? Will anyone be saved because of blue paint? But do you like paint? We like it. Some women even like to put it on their faces. These things are good gifts and they can make us happy and pleased. And we can sometimes pursue good gifts. Men are not as sinful as they could be. They're not consistent. A a bad man, a sinner, can marry a woman and be kind to her sometimes and then sinful to her at other times. Why? Because he's not consistent. His real master is Satan. His real master is sin. But then he turns around and does a kind thing for his wife. Now, I understand. Maybe he does it with an unkind motive. Maybe it's a selfish motive. Maybe there's sin inside. But it's not as sinful as he could have been. Rather than insulting her and attacking her and killing his wife, many unsaved men give their wives flowers or give them money to buy things. They could have done something worse, but they didn't because they're not absolutely depraved. They're not consistent. That's the point. There's only one who is consistently consistent. God. And since Jesus is consistent, then we can deduce that Jesus is God. Jesus said, I always do those things that please him. There was never a time when Jesus did not do the thing that pleased the father. So he was what? Consistent. You and I can be consistent when we are walking in the spirit. But because of our remaining corruptions, we are commonly inconsistent. But don't think that unbelievers are consistent. They are not. Unbelievers are very inconsistent because consistency is a mark of godliness. And only true believers can truly be consistent as they walk in the spirit. Missionary consistency is the repetition of decisions that are made based on biblical principle. What do I mean by this? Let me give you a few examples before we go on. I mean, if you're a missionary, you need to make decisions like the gospel is the power of God to salvation. There's my principle. Let's add another one to it. Tsonga people who have not heard the gospel will go to hell. Let's add another principle. God loves those people. Let's add another principle. I want to be like God in his love. Did you follow those principles? So then what decision might we make if we are missionaries to the Tsonga people? We might say, well, those Tsongas are sinners. But the gospel is God's power to save sinners. And God loves them. And I want to be like God. Then let me go and speak to them with the gospel. And what does consistency say? If I made the the decision today based on principle, what will I do tomorrow? I'll go back to that same principle. If I'm driven by principle, if I'm driven to say, this is the right way to live and the right way to act, this is the way that I want to act on principle, then what will I do tomorrow? I'm going to do the same thing. 
And again, the same thing. And again, the same thing. If I set up Bible studies, I'm going to meet with them again. If I begin the church plant, even though I go to the church and there's no one there. And as a pastor and as a church planter, I have many times gone to church and been the only person there for a while until other people arrived. Have you done that? You get to church and it's just you and you feel so discouraged. But then you say, I'm living my life based on principle. And missionary life must be a life based on principle. It must be a life guided by consistency. Why? I already told you the reason. Because most pagan people and heathen people need a long time before they come to Christ. And if you're only going to be consistent for one day or one week or one month or one year, how are those people going to come to Christ? Well, there are dangers to missionary consistency. There are, there are things that stop us from being consistent. And some of these are common practices in the world today. Number one, short-term mission trips. How do short-term mission trips damage consistency? A short-term mission trip is when you say, I live in South Africa and I'm going to go with a group of people into Mozambique. We'll be there for 12 days. While we're there, we're going to speak through translators because we don't know how to speak Tonga. So we'll go and we'll take three translators for a group of 15. And anytime one of us wants to talk to a Tonga person, we'll find a translator and go and talk to that Tonga person. And after two weeks of living in tents and cooking over camp stoves, then we'll come back and we'll say what? We were missionaries. How does that damage consistency? Because you did it for 12 days and then? And worst of all, you said, ah, I feel good about myself because I was a missionary. I did it. My job's done. My consistency, I can, I can take my box and say, here it is. Consistency. Box, check, ha. You can say, I've done that, when in reality, you haven't done it. Short-term mission trips send the message, usually, that being a missionary is a pretty quick thing to do. When in reality, the Apostle Paul said, I was with you night and day. You know the way I was from the very first with you. And I went back over and over to the churches until there were churches established there. So we can't tick that box until we see churches. Short-term mission trips can be a good thing if the people who are coming to the mission field understand what they are doing. If the people who are coming to the mission field know, I'm coming to learn what is it like to cross a culture. I'm coming to learn what is this language like. I'm coming to learn how much money will it cost me to move back to Mozambique. If that's your goal, then go, brother. Go for 12 days to Mozambique. 
If you're saying to yourself, I need to learn if I could make it there and I need to learn if my wife could make it there and I need to learn how much money it's gonna take to live there and I need to learn where the language groups start and stop and I need to learn what shops there are and what the roads are like so that when I move back there, I'll be able to live effectively and successfully and with my wife and kids. Oh, well, if that's your point behind a short-term mission trip, then in that case, go, go, go. But the majority of short-term mission trips have the idea that we're going to do missions. When they can't do missions because they can't do, they can't do what Paul did. They can't plant the churches, they can't speak the language, they can't go back, they can't warn people night and day with tears because they can't even talk. It's a danger. Number two, if short-term mission trips are a danger for people who are thinking about missions, living in more developed churches, and they just want to visit a poor area, then the danger for missionaries is leaving the field early. We'll talk much more about this next week. Leaving the field early is a danger, and it stems from a lack of consistency. Notice I said leaving the field early. I have a friend who served the Lord in Ghana, planting churches, learning the language, taking his wife, and then he had children. And then his children got a, a child got a sickness, and then the child got the sickness the second time. And there were no doctors in the area he was living in that were able to treat that sickness and they had to drive far away to get to a doctor. And the doctor said, if this girl gets that particular kind of sickness again, she will probably die. The little baby had already had it twice. So the man said, I think for my wife and my children, I'm gonna go plant a church in New York. He moved back to America, and today he's pastoring a church in New York. I consider him a godly man, a friend, a Christian brother, a wise man. I might do the same thing if the choice were between continue to minister among the Tsongas, but risk my daughter's life, or move to another place and start a church maybe where there's more doctors and hospitals, I might do that as well. But the point is, leaving the field is not always wrong. That's why I wrote leaving the field early. You can decide what early is. But it is undoubted that many missionaries leave the field early. They didn't count the cost regarding language. Or they didn't count the cost regarding culture. Or they didn't understand how deep their theology needs to be to give them that battery to be consistent. They had not studied the motives and they did not have a clear definition. So without those theological batteries powering their work, they became spiritually depressed. And that's number three. Spiritual depression or spiritual discouragement damages missionary consistency. Let me give you an example of this. Many, many times on evangelism, I have come back and thought, those people aren't listening and don't care. Why am I even going out? I remember living in Elam and coming back one time from evangelizing in Waterfall. And I remember thinking, it's, waste of, 
it's a waste of my time to do this. And then I found myself a couple weeks later spending more time on my sermons, more time on calling people around me, more time helping my wife or my children, more time fixing my Bucky than I was going out. And then I read the book, A Call to the Unconverted by Joseph Elaine. It's a little book. And I was convicted that what I had done is become discouraged because the work was hard and fruitless. And so because the work was hard and fruitless, I stepped back, not not consciously. I just allowed easier jobs to to be put in the place of, of that job of evangelism. Which is easier? To sit at home and read an important theological book so that you will be trained as a pastor or going out to evangelize people who don't know you and don't care about what you're talking about and they'll laugh at your language. Which is easier? Reading the book at home with your nice red pen and underlining and say, oh, now I understand. Let me take time for prayer. That's easier. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's easier than going out to people who don't care and don't want to listen and will probably laugh at you because you can't say she, you say sweet. And it's that missionary consistency that can be attacked by spiritual discouragement or spiritual depression. Number four, a hunger for quick results. If you want quick results, which many, many people, and especially Americans do. I don't know. You can tell me after the break. Who wants quick results more? Africans or Americans? Oh, Americans love quick results. They tend to feel like they're failures unless they have quick results. But a hunger for quick results can damage consistency. Number five, man-centered theology Man-centered theology can stop you from evangelizing. It will do exactly what I just said about spiritual discouragement. You may start out with your man-centered theology, and you may start out offering clothing packets, parcel packets of food. You might be giving out things. Maybe the church in America or in the church in Johannesburg says, isn't there someone up there that we can give to? You say, oh, yes. And so they send 10,000 rand up and a bucky full of tins of food. A man did this a few years ago at a church here in Lewis Treecart, and he, he gave us a bucky load full of tins of food. And he said, can you take these tins out there and give them out to people? I can't think of one person who even came to church from giving out thousands of rands of free food. I filled That old Toyota 98 Hilux, the back of it, I filled it with tins. Drove it back to Elam and gave out tins. And probably people were walking away saying, Hey, hey, probably something like that. But if your theology says, oh, just make them happy. 
And then when they get happy, then they'll like you. And when they like you, then they'll receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But if you have a biblical theology that says receiving Jesus means being born again and putting your faith in Christ, John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, there's only two places in the Bible where it speaks about receiving Jesus. John 1 is by far the most famous. The other one is Colossians 1. John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to those ones he gave power to become his children. That's being born again. The ones who received, received because they had been born, they had been given power to be born again. And number two, even to those who believed on his name, receiving Jesus means faith alone in Christ alone. So I'm really tired of people saying, I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. When they don't know that it requires a new heart. And faith alone and Christ alone. They don't know the doctrine. And those experiences have not happened to the people. Let me give an example. Just yesterday, I was at speed break getting that Toyota some final touch-ups before the guys bought it. Which they did last night, 9 o'clock. They called me this morning from Bloemfontein. And they said, Ha, Pesta! Pesta! You sold us a brand new Bucky! Ah, this Bucky! It's flying 140 k's an hour. What are they doing to that thing? 140 k's an hour. It is a good bucky, and I try. I I fixed it nicely because I thought I want these people to know it's a Christian that sells this bucky. It's not a goat that sold this bucky. I'm not lying to you. So when they asked for a discount, I said no because I'm an honest man. I'm not giving you a discount. But they called this morning to say, it's a great Bucky. I might call them tonight to make sure they got to Cape Town. (laughs) But here's the point. I was at speed break fixing another problem that I did not have to fix. But I thought, I'm just going to fix this one too to make sure it's perfect. So make sure I'm worthy of getting every penny because I'm taking it all. And so I'm at speed break and I see a Venda man there, a pastor. And... We start talking for a little bit. And he says, I, I, I started asking him questions because I thought if I try to evangelize him, he won't respond well. But if I ask him questions and lead him into evangelism, we'll see how it goes. So I said, hey, does God love women more than men? Because so many women come to church. Oh, no. So we start talking about it. And then he jumps in with, but, but women are quick to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Oh, do, do you think when they receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, do you think they're really born again? Because don't you think they still go on in their gossip and their anger and their picking at their husbands? And do you think these women who receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, do you think they're really obeying their husbands? Do you think any of those women have come back to their husbands and said, please forgive me for not obeying you? Do you think any of those women, ah, no, 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 they're not doing that. So do you think we could say they've received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? Or do you think they, they aren't really born again? Ha, ah, yeah, 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 that's the question. Ha, yo, bafunzi. Yo, 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 So we're talking, here's the point, here's the point. He uses the terminology and he doesn't even know what it means to be born again. And the people he's talking about 
Having received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they go on in their old ways. All things have not become new. Old things have not passed away. They've not become new creatures in Christ. They're not born again and faith alone in Christ alone. They don't know those things. That's exactly what it's taught in John 1 verse 12. But because that man has man-centered theology, he doesn't know the doctrines of grace and he doesn't care to know them. So that when I talk to him, I could tell as I'm asking questions, he was kind of looking for ways to get out. I thought, now that's very interesting. All I'm doing is asking you questions. I'm trying to do it very gently. But I can't be gentle enough. Interesting. Man-centered theology is a danger to missionary consistency. Number six, failure to count the cost. A failure to count the cost is a danger for missionary consistency. We can't be consistent when we haven't counted the cost, and so we're overwhelmed. So Brother Lloyd, if you're considering going back and laboring in the church and then one day planting a church, I want you to count the cost. People you love and people you invest in will turn on you, and they'll say stupid and rude things about you. And you're gonna have to decide, am I gonna go into depression and start crying and whining? Or am I just gonna get back up the next day and read my Bible and confess my sins and kiss my wife and lead her in prayer and then go out and evangelize again. I think this final section on the directions for missionary consistency, I think I'll expand it next week and put it in the negative side on the attrition. Are there any comments or questions tonight? Yes, sir. I was wondering, how do we balance consistency with urgency? Because you talked about that earlier in this course. I'm just wondering, like, how do we balance? We really want to be urgent. Perhaps we see the fields away with harvest, so we want to reach many villages and try to lead to people as quickly as possible. Hmm. But at the same time, we want to be consistent with them, bring them a long time to build patterns. How do you balance this, too? Um, excellent question. You're thinking. I'm glad of that. Number one, make sure that you know those two categories exist. There is a kind of preacher... Oh, how lofty is his eyes, quoting Solomon in Proverbs 30. There is a kind of preacher who does not keep urgency before his mind. Woe to that man. But at the same time, there may be a kind of preacher who shouts, but does not keep consistent discipline before his mind. So keep both of those there. You've got to run because it's urgent. There is a hell, there is a heaven, there is Christ, there is salvation. But you don't want to run at a sprint because you've got to run the, you've got to run the comrades. Yeah. So if you sprint, you're going to be done by three kilometers and you've got to go 90. But if you walk, then nothing good will happen. You'll never win. So keep both of those there and notice them as you read and pray. I think just recognizing that those exist will probably do all I know to say to keep us balanced. Because none of us are balanced. All of us are falling off one side or the other. Some of us are too quiet and calm and you need to wake up. And some of us need to just calm down a little bit. So if you need to calm down, just calm down and be consistent. If you need to wake up, wake up. I, I, I think that keeping those, balance, keeping those categories before your eyes probably be the best thing I would offer right now. Does someone else have a comment or question? You want to press that further? 
All right, let's take a break. <laughs> 